Bill Bright, who was the founder and head of Campus Crusade for Christ. That doesn't sound very good. That wasn't my hip. Sorry. Bill Bright, who was the founder and, and uh, the head of Campus Crusade for Christ, died just a few years ago. And one of the things that he uh, wrote about a lot was the Holy Spirit. And in his book, simply titled, How to Get the Holy Spirit, he tells the story of Yates Poole. And Yates Pool is uh, something that is uh, a ways out in West Texas. And uh, being a Texan, uh, you know, we're always proud and talking about how big the state is and everything is, you know, big. And um, if you go out West Texas, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you can see more of it because there are no trees uh, like there are here. But one of the things he was telling about Yates Pool is, uh, of course, it's named after a guy named Yates. And he lived during the Depression era, and he was a rancher uh, out there in West Texas. And he wasn't your typical cattle rancher. Um, and in that day, there were fewer and fewer of those because of the economy. Uh, but he was a, a sheep farmer, or he was a shepherd. And he wanted to take care of his sheep and wanted to take care of his ranch but he was really feeling the strain and the weight of not being able to take care of his mortgage. And so, just like so many during that time, he struggled. His family struggled for something to eat. And he struggled to even know what was going to happen tomorrow. And didn't know if the bank was going to show up and just take all of his stuff away. And uh, he would have to say goodbye to this property that he had owned, owned throughout the years. And so he continued with the same depressing thought about what would happen and one day as he was out with the sheep there was a, a crew member from a, a seismology crew that was coming by from an oil company and they came by and they talked to him and said Mr. Yates we would like to to do some studies of your land and he said that's great wonderful uh, I don't have any idea why but that's that's great and they said well we think there is oil underneath your property we think that there is a lot of oil there, and we'd like to explore it. And so they began to do so, and they wanted to put a wildcat rig there on the property, and, and they did. And wouldn't you know, uh, it hit uh, big time. And uh, that's what we say in East Texas in the oil field, big time. Uh, and uh, so they began to drill at 1,115 feet. They struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test of one of those wells showed it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels a day. And Mr. Yates, he owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he had received the oil and mineral rights, which, by the way, uh, a lot of people around here have realized that's a good thing to get whenever you buy property. And uh, that day that he uh, bought the property, he got all of that together, yet he'd been living on relief. A multimillionaire living in poverty. What's the problem? Bill Bright asks. He didn't know the oil was there, even though he owned it. He was a, a poor man, yet not realizing he was rich. He was living on top of the land, on the surface of things, in terms of what he could see and experience, and had no idea all of that was deep down inside. As I think about the day of Pentecost, I think that we are the same way spiritually many times, aren't we? We find ourselves thinking that we have nothing, 
thinking we have no power, no strength. And, and I guess in a sense, that's right. But we forget what is deep down inside of us. This day of Pentecost is a time to come and to celebrate and to recognize and realize all that is deep down inside of us. All that God has placed there as a, not just a, a natural resource, but a very supernatural resource. Well, how can we experience that? How can we ever even get the Holy Spirit? There are different churches that have different teachings on this. And if you thought we were one of those where we jumped across the pews, uh, I don't, it could happen tonight, but it probably won't be me. And uh, Jack did some hurdles this year. Maybe he could uh, get over one of them. But uh, there are just a lot of different teachings. But how is it? What's the Bible say? I mean, what, what's just the, the general idea here that Luke is trying to get across? Well, I think we, in fact, I know we can experience the Holy Spirit, first of all, when we come together in one place. And that's what is taking place here in the gospel. I mean, in, in this account of Acts, as Luke is telling the story about what happened, he begins to share, and it really just begins here with this one verse. I think we have it up there. It's just as simple as this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Luke is just noting. Luke is a historian, by the way. He was a doctor, but he has also been shown to be an incredible historian. That His historical accounts have been uh, buttressed by archaeological finds and um, just throughout history. We have seen this over and over again. But as he writes this on this day, he just makes a small note, just a small short sentence. On that day, they were all together in one place. He also tells us in Acts that they would gather together in each other's homes. They would gather together in the temple courts and they would break bread with one another. So literally every day they were gathering together to find strength, to find help. The Roman government was persecuting them. The religious leaders of, of their own religion, they were coming after them trying to, to put out this movement of resurrection. And Luke says, no, they, this day they were all together in one place. Sure, they had come from all different places and people had come from all different nations. He talks about all these Parthians and uh, people from uh, Macedonia and Cappadocia, all these different places. But here he's talking about the church. They'd come together in one place. There is a, a story from, or a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor. We are a part of what God is doing. Opening our eyes and hearts to understand people who are different from us. It is my experience that when we are open to the movement of God's Spirit, God will move through us. God will move to bring unity in the church. That almost sounds crazy, doesn't it? Church? Unity? Unity in the church? The Holy Spirit will move to renew us and to use us. It happens as the church is together. There is this sense of oneness. There is this sense of unity. And the way that Luke describes that is with that Greek word koinonia, which means sharing everything in common. And Luke says this is what was going on. It's much like a huddle in football. There was a, a movie on last night, The Longest Yard, the most recent version of that with Burt Reynolds. Not as good as the first one. But I was just watching that and watching the dynamics and the chemistry of that prison football team as they were playing against the guards. And as they would come together, the real power took place through an individual, if you've ever seen this. If not, sorry for the spoiler. But they would come together 
and gather around in that huddle. And this is how they would fire each other up. This is where all of the emotion came from. This is where their strength came from. It, it wasn't about what they were doing individually out on the field. No, it all came. And every coach knows this. It happens in the huddle. And the same thing is true for us. We can experience the Holy Spirit when we come together in one place. God has a bias for community. I mean, really, look throughout the Scripture. God has a bias and has an extreme preference for when the church comes together, when people come together. You can look throughout uh, ancient history and you can see throughout the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, you can see how they were gathering together. And he loved to put them into groups. In fact, we know about the tribes of Israel. and We know that there was identity within each one of those. And we can just see that. And it is certainly true with the church. God intended, thank you, God intended for people to come together. And so we need to understand that today as well. That's why I'm glad you're here. Because we need community. It, it is not about being solo practitioners out in the community. It'd be hard for y'all to do much jazz. I guess you could have a, a jazz solo, but it really comes as a part of the, the context of the rest of the band. And we could applaud the solo, but it's really how all of it comes together. The different sounds and the different pieces come together. That's jazz, and I think that is Christianity, and that is God's intent for the church. All improvised through the Holy Spirit. We need that community. And if, if you haven't really found that community, dig deeper. Get to know the people that are sitting around you tonight or attend a Bible study group or come participate on a, a service project, which we have so many, they are legion um, here coming out of, of this building and into the community. But we need that. And it's not about a geographical thing, by the way, them coming together uh, to be one. It's about a spiritual thing. Certainly, you need to come to a place, and we have this as a place, but you need to be one spiritually. That's what God wants us to know. And the only way that happens, the only way that happens with all of our differences is through the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter what the difference is. God doesn't care. We're all created male, female, Greek, non-Greek, the list would just continue and to enlarge. We could never be able to put boundaries around that because God hates boundaries. And we need to recognize that today. But we can also experience the Holy Spirit and experience this power of Pentecost. When we come to that understanding and when we come to that experience of letting go and letting God move us. You know the old expression certainly in, in counseling and psychology, let, let go and let God. That's true with so many things, whether it's an addiction or a relationship or whatever. Let go and then let God. And I think that is the case here with the Holy Spirit. And this is what uh, uh, Peter is describing. Luke is writing it, but he's writing about what Peter was saying. And I think it's very evident to everyone who was gathered in the streets of the, that city. As thousands and thousands of people were around, what did they say? Look at those crazy people. They weren't known as Christians yet. That comes in uh, Acts 11. Uh, they were just known as followers of Jesus. And, and they said, they're, they're drunk. It's not even 9 o'clock. They are not from Louisiana. 
It is not even nine o'clock and they're drunk. They've been drinking some new wine. And Peter stands up and says, that is not the case. What's happened with them, and this is my paraphrase, is that they have let go. They have gathered here in this place and it's just like God always said. The Spirit is going to come and it's going to fall and it's going to do incredible things. Things that we can't even predict or control. And so they let go and they just let it happen. They let the Spirit move through them and in them. Anne Lamott is an incredible author. And, uh, and she's, a, she's a little salty uh, if you read her stuff. We, we love her so much. We, uh, we just have this new book, Maggie Lee for Good, and it's getting ready to come out the 1st of June. And we were so excited because she, her quote is on the front of the book. We were at Jenny, say we, Jenny was able to um, talk her into uh, putting that on the front of the cover. She was very happy to do so. Just an incredible author. But one of the things that she writes in her book, Traveling Mercies, uh, she tells of her fear at the appearance of the slightest mole on her body. Her father had died of a malignant melanoma. And even if her dermatologist frowned just a bit, it made her very nervous. Coming to her senses, she confessed that she believed in God. And she wrote on a scrap of paper these words, I am a little anxious. Help me remember that you are with me even now. I'm going to take my sticky fingers off the control panel until I hear from you. And then she put the note in a drawer of the table that is right next to her bed and she surrendered her future to God. No matter what. I think that's a great prayer. Jesus sought to assure His disciples that they would have access to the Spirit, but they would have to let go. And they would have to just allow the Spirit to do whatever the Spirit was going to do. And we need to let go too, don't we? I wonder, what are you holding on to? Don't say nothing, because we all have something we're hanging on to, don't we? There is something in your grasp today that you don't want to let go and give to God. It could be anything. It could be something that's really good. And yet you're unwilling to let it go. We have to let go of control. We have to let go of reputation. The people in the streets that day, those brand new followers of Jesus, they didn't care what other people thought about them. You and I would probably be pretty disturbed if people said that we were drunk and it wasn't even 9 a.m. And there they are. They just don't care. The Spirit was moving in and through them. And the same thing needs to happen with you and with me and with our church and with churches in the community and the church across the world that we would just let go of the control. Every time we try to control something, we mess it up, don't we? I, I, you know, we can have testimonies about that. <laughs> he's, he's got some good testimonies. I could tell you plenty of examples in my life where that is the case. And we need to just allow Him to move in and through us. When was the last time you just felt God's Spirit at work in you? Chances are it probably wasn't even in church. It was probably somewhere out where you saw a sunset or where you saw a butterfly just land on a lantana and begin to flap its wings. Or maybe it was uh, out on the golf course, which seems strange to me. 
uh, where you can see the beauty of God, or maybe it's seeing it in the face of a child, or in the embrace of someone who loves and cares for you deeply. There's so many ways that we can experience that, and, and God wants us to do that. Well, finally, I, I believe we can experience the Holy Spirit as we remember what it is for. It is for other people. It's not about you. It's not about just what God is doing in your life, and that is what Peter is explaining here. There is a, a prophecy that he is talking about, um, and I, I think we have a, a verse up here for that as well. But as uh, Peter is addressing the crowd, he's standing with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And he goes on to tell them about this prophecy. In the last day it will be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men dream dreams. The whole idea about God pouring out his spirit was so that others would be blessed. That was always God's intention. That's what he always wanted to do through Israel, was to bless the world. And they were to prophesy. We can experience the Spirit and the Pentecost of God when we recognize and remember that it's not about us, it's for other people. And so what I would say to you tonight is delight completely in the Holy Spirit. Make it about you just for a little while. Allow God to speak to you. Allow God to move in your soul and to be able to direct your steps and all of that. But make sure that your steps are leading you to other people. Make sure that God is flowing through you as a vessel. That you would see yourself as a distributor, not a consumer. And I think the problem in so many churches and in so many lives is that it comes down to consumerism. What can I get? What kind of... Think can God do for me when God does for you so that you can do for other people? And that is what God wants us to know. There's a great quote, and it's one that my uh, uh, father-in-law would always say, God rest his soul. He uh, would tell me, he'd always try to give me help with my sermons. And uh, he had some stories I just couldn't tell in church. And uh, so as he would pull me aside, one thing he would say, John, just light yourself on fire. and People will come from all over to watch you burn. <laughs> say, uh, Pop, are you okay? And I finally figured out that that was not a, a, a quote from him. It was a quote from John Wesley. And he grew up Methodist, and this was something within his own soul. He knew it very well. He knew the understanding of, Whatever it is you say or whatever it is you do, just be sure you're on fire so that that fire catches on to other people. People will come see someone who's on fire. Now, there's a story behind that. John Wesley said that, but he had a story behind it. There's a guy named Leslie Weatherhead who was a, uh, an outstanding English Methodist. Uh, see, now, I'm giving you some props here, Gary, being English and all. I, I kind of tore it down last week, but this week it's all about being English. And a writer who tells of a visit to Aldersgate, which is where John Wesley had this incredible experience with God, an experience that he would never forget. There is a plaque on that wall where Wesley had his conversion. It's a small chapel. And on that plaque it said, On this spot, on May 24, 1738, John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. 
That's what Wesley wrote down. And that's what he would continue to say. I don't know what happened. I wasn't expecting anything. I just walked in and my heart was strangely warmed. It was a fire that came down within me. That's why you can see on the Methodist symbol there, there's a fire, a fire right there with the cross. As Weatherhead prayed and pondered about Wesley's warmed heart in one of the back pews, suddenly at the chapel door, there, uh, the door opened and an old man with a cane proceeded to walk down the aisle. When this man came to the plaque, not seeing Weatherhead in the back pew, he read out loud the words, On this spot, on May 24th, 1738, John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. The old man dropped to his knees and exclaimed, Do it again, Lord. Do it again for me. Wesley was an example of how the Spirit did it. He was an example of how the Spirit could take a heart and make it warm. As we remember today that we can experience the Pentecostal power of the Holy Spirit, even today, even in our time, may we too say, do it again, Lord. Do it in me. Let's pray.